0: Good morning. Uh, if you noticed, maybe you didn't notice, maybe you did notice when you pulled in today, the roof's a different color. Uh, we got a new roof this week, which I know this is really going to surprise you. Yeah. I didn't do any of it. So yeah, whoa, whoa. Um, it's really hard to work uh, when, when, when people are on your head all, day, all week long. So um, I escaped to the, uh, the basement a lot, which was a lot nicer. But Yvonne had to sit underneath it all week long, so bless you. Um, so, sorry, Paul, she came home with migraines. It's totally, totally my fault on that one. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a great week. We've got a new roof. It's uh, fantastic, and gutters and stuff will go in this week. So, um, we are uh, back in business, no more leakage, and uh, we'll be good to go. All right. So, just a little update on that whole uh, exciting thing here going on at the church. We are continuing our series in James Uh, called uh, Practical Living. And so what we're doing is going uh, basically line by line, verse by verse through the book of James. Now, I haven't gone this slow ever in a book uh, of the Bible when it pertained to Sunday morning. So if you're like, wow, we are not covering very much at all, you're right. Uh, we, We aren't covering that much lengthwise, but we're going really, really, really deep now, for uh, those of you who have been able to be a part of our men's uh, Bible study on Monday nights, this is kind of how this goes, except I've had several men come up to me and go, yeah, but I don't get to ask any questions. Uh, so there's, there is that point. Um, so we, we go a lot faster, apparently, on Sunday morning than we do on Monday nights because you guys can't talk to me. Um, I can't get distracted as much is really what happens. But if you do have questions in that vein, I want your questions to really shape a kind of where the rest of the series goes. So uh, the the ask this uh, on this series is to read the whole book of James once a week. It's only five chapters. Uh, you can do it. It will take you about 15 minutes. Um, but read it once a week. And any questions you have, just pop them in an email, Facebook, text me, call me, whatever you'd like. Uh, don't expect an answer right then because I have to think about them. Um, those aren't usually things I can just pop back to you real quick. And uh, we will, but if you have those questions, I guarantee you somebody else in here is having those same questions, right? And so uh, when we get to that portion of the scripture, we'll try to delve into it. We'll try to um, maybe bring you some, some clarity in what's going on there. And so today we're going to be in James Uh, James is a small book. It's called an epistle, which just means a letter. Um, It's behind Hebrews and right before first Peter. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, uh, we'll be reading from uh, the second verse to verse twelve. Now I did that last time as well. The same scripture, but um, as you know, we don't really cover all the words and the things that are going on in scripture. So today we're going to be covering and diving into and and kind of really trying to press into this idea of what am I supposed to do when I'm uh, going through stuff? What am I supposed to do? How am I spo- How is my attitude supposed to be? What am I supposed to? Uh, what's my default position when life is hard? How do I deal with that? And then even more so, how do I deal with it when I separate you two? Uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, fair, enough. fair enough. So as your default position, how do we deal with life is hard, right? If you have a great week, you're like, Woo-hoo, only five things broke this week, right? That's a, that's a, that's a good week. And so how do we deal with, the, with, with the, the frustrations, the rough things of life, but also how does that pertain to God? Because often sometimes when we are dealing with the hard stuff with God uh, in life, we start blaming God. God must be broken. This thing must not be on. What's going on? What, what's happening here? That's, that kind of is the progression on that. How do we deal with that and how do we not fall into that trap of blaming God uh, for everything that's going on in our life? How do we actually see how God is guiding us through that? And so that's really, you know, real light stuff that we're going to cover today. Uh, so that's where we're going to try to be today. And hopefully this isn't just, you know, spend 40 minutes talking about it and you've got it all mastered. This is a lifelong process, right? But hopefully we can give you some tools this morning to start to reframe thought processes uh, to be able to deal with some of the really, really, really tough stuff of life. And what that means when we, that comes up with questions about God and why things are the way they are. Okay? So that's where we're at today. A couple review uh, questions. We're going to do a lot of word study, um, and I want to be very clear I like to go into the Greek words. I like to go into the history of all that stuff that I'm not doing that to show off, you know, uh, something that I learned somewhere, all the things that generally I tell you about words. Um, you can, you don't have to pay for a master's degree. Like I did, you can find them on the internet. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, now you need to go to trustworthy sites there, but everything that I've, do that is the one. There's one type of Bible I meant to bring it up um, this this Sunday. I'll bring it up next week. It's called a keyword study Bible. Um, and what is go? Why this Bible is different is most of the nouns and the verbs in it are already given their um, the kind of a reference number. And in the back of that Bible, you look up that reference number and it tells you how to pronounce the Greek word and what the Greek de- definitions are and all that stuff. That that's about 50 percent of my study comes from that one Bible. And uh, c- trying to figure that out, and then I b- come back and interpret that back into the text. Okay, how do we open up that text a little bit more knowing the definition of the word? That's something that you guys all can do. That's not like a special superpower I have or something like that. Okay, you have access to that. Also, there's a, um, a resource called Strong's Concordance. It does basically the same thing. It gives you all this information. Those are readily available, and the Strong's Concordance is um, it's so old that uh, it's like free on the internet e- everywhere. So you can look at those things. Um, so I, I say that to say is I don't have like a monopoly on the Bible knowledge, right? I just want you, I would love for you to come to me like, Oh, I read this and the Greek was this. And I'm like, Oh, let's have a discussion. Um, but I want you to be able to have the tools to study it yourself and not have to be relying on me. Cause that's just, that's just silly. So, um, I just want to make that clear uh, because I don't want to come off as haughty in any way, shape or form when I'm spouting all these Greek words. It's really just to help you. Okay. Um, so with all of my disclaimers uh, said, the first Greek word we're talk about is doulos. Now, in the third word in this scripture is uh, James, a bond servant or a slave or a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Doulos. This is incredibly important word to understand, not just James, but the whole of the new Testament and the, the way in which we should see ourselves as under God. Doulos, which we often see, especially in the New International Version a translation, you see this word translated as servant because it's translated into English and Americans have an aversion to the word slave. Rightfully so. We got a little history there. Okay. But we have an aversion to that word except that does the word uh, an injustice. Right here in doulos, we're talking about a bond servant. So actually to start thinking about this is more like an indentured servant. And the idea behind what a doulos was is um, if I owed Eric Moore a ton of money, more money than I could ever pay back. Like he could have me thrown in prison. He could have me killed because I owe him this much money. Right. And so I go to Eric and I'm like, so uh that whole, you know, money I owe you. Um, how about you purchase me? And can you imagine the, 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 the humbling that that would take? The, the, I, I can't, I have a family. I'm not going to be with my family anymore. I got to sell myself to Eric because of my debt, right? Now, it could have been I, or it could have been I'm running to Eric for, uh, I know he's got money, and um, he's got other slaves, and I've got issues, and I've got other debts. I'm like, hey, you want to purchase my debts from, from Beth over here? Beth, you're going to pay Beth off, but in the return, you get me. So that, this is how this is working. Do you, do you see how that, that works? And so he's buying my debts. Now, maybe I go, the only hope for me or my, my children or whatever to ever get an education is that if you purchase my daughter, and so you purchase my daughter with, a, with the understanding you're going to raise her to become a doctor. But that's the only hope I ever have for that. Now, he's not actually held to, there's not a contract like saying you're going to train her that way. He could use her however he wanted to, but that is the. Uh, the mentality do you understand what's going on here now um, in this concept of of, of bondservantness of doulos, there usually was this kind of underlying idea after 10 15 years the person would would get their freedom back so it wasn't like um it's not a, a a forever slavery it's not a a skin color slavery it is a um, an interesting you're purchasing me um, to off to offset debt to offset a, a new life, for education, for all these different things. Now, it's still slavery. They still can do whatever they want. It's still bad. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not proposing, oh, this, this slavery was wonderful. Absolutely not. But this is the mindset. 40% of the Roman Empire of working-age adults would have been slaves. Um, so think about that. 40%. 40%. That means every single person in every single family had someone who was a slave or had been a slave or would be a slave. Everywhere. Okay, so and the whole idea is thinking about this slave mentality, this do-loss mentality. And so that when he says a bond servant of God, he's underst- everyone is understanding, okay, what he has done is he has sold himself. He has been bought with a price from Jesus. And so this is what the cross is. This is what happens there. And so this idea of God has bought my past, God has bought my future, God has bought all of that, and he has, he has taken that. So this is what do-loss is. Everybody clear? We cool? I know I've said this the same thing for three weeks in a row. That's because it's incredibly, 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 incredibly important. You've got to get this because we don't operate as do-losses, like understanding that God has, has bought us and set us free and, 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 and paid that price for us. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy, right? Like, <laughs> that's how we operate. We operate that way. We don't operate as, oh, my goodness, he's paid the price for me. He has bought me. There's the second part that's really incredibly important. We don't have to operate out of slavery is that Jesus has set us free. And John it says if if I may, if the son makes you free you are free indeed. This is this idea of making of liberating us, of setting us free. The Romans would have called it a patronus, a protector, a benefactor. Someone who has set you free. But then forever after after Eric set me free, after that I would go to Eric when I needed a job. When I would go to Eric for something else. And, he, and he's kind of like my godfather now. and Because the more I succeed, the more he's going to succeed because I owe him everything. Do you get this? You see how that applies to Christianity? That if I am Jesus' bondservant, I've gone to him, he's bought my pr- my, paid my price, and then he set me free. But I still owe everything to him because he has paid the price for me and he is my benefactor. And this is the, all the, the mentality that what is going on here uh, that, that James is trying to, to to teach, we clear, cool, head rattle, somebody, no, okay, all right. And then last week we talked about this idea of joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials. Consider it pure joy. Yay! My life is falling apart. Woo hoo! That's not what we're talking about. Okay, we lose the idea of joy. Joy. This word kara means like victorious triumph. So instead of uh, joy is not just a moment. Happiness. Joy is this idea of we are victorious. And so what is happening is the greatest. Uh Honor you could be given as a Roman general was called a triumph. And this is when, like, Caesar got one of these when he he defeated Gaul. He came back in town, and he's got all the slaves, and he's got all the money, and he's got all this fun stuff, and he's, and the, the trumpets are going, and food for everybody, and it's a huge party in Rome, and it is amazing. It's the That's the feeling that joy is supposed to be bringing, that James is bringing up. This moment of triumph, a victorious king has come home. The war is over. It has been won. So if we change that from consider be pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials, you know, you should be happy all the time. And if you're sad, then you apparently are failing God. Anybody else gotten that from that, mess, that, that, that verse before? Because I have. I felt like I was a failure, like, oh, man, I must be a bad Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible because I'm cranky today. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, remember your victory. Remember that the future has already been won. And so out of that perspective, we can... Because remember who he's writing to. Is he writing to Caesar? No. Is he writing to the generals? No. He's writing to people who are most likely slaves. Like, that's their default position. At best, they're displaced people that can never go home that are all over the empire. These are not like, woohoo, everything's great. Right? And so he's telling them, consider it pure joy. Now, remember, consider the joy that we are victorious that our Lord, our protector, has already won. You see the difference in that? That that lets you off the hook a little bit more when you're like, okay, good. I don't have to be happy all the time. Now, I think we should probably could have a default happiness factor, but we don't have to, uh, we can still struggle. We can still have a bad day and not be disappointing God, okay? But the point is, our default position is remembering that we have a hope. We have a future. We have a God who's paid the price. We have a God who's won. We have a God who's beaten uh, beaten death. Okay? That's our default position. And that's a different kind of perspective where the momentary stuff of each day doesn't defeat me as much when I start thinking about the end has already been one. So that's joy. Moving right along James 1, 2 through 12. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing Underline testing if you're if you're keeping score at home. Testing of your faith produces perseverance. Underline perseverance if you're doing that. Uh, let perseverance, underline it again, finish its work so that you may have mature and complete, not lacking anything. If anyone lacks wisdom, underline wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. You can underline doubt. Because... It, The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they are going about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life, and the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now verses 9, 10, and 11 is all about, remember his target audience. He's writing slaves. He's like, guys, don't worry about it if you're not rich. That rich stuff will rust. It will destroy. It will go away. It's just here momentarily. If you're poor, you're not losing anything, so be happy about it. Like You have a lot less to risk when you, when you don't have anything. It's like, mm, okay, fair enough interesting. Um, James, we look at, we know the end of the story, right? We know how the church is going to take off. We know how that uh, the the church is going to become the default position of Europe for thousands of years. Like we know the end of the story. We know James has no idea. He has no idea in AD 50 that they're ever going to be able to get out from underneath of the caves that they're hiding in and that they're going to be at churches that. So he's writing to an idea and to people of going, we never know if we're not going to get crucified. We never know if we're not going to get burned at stakes. We never not know if we're going to be persecuted by everybody that we meet. We we don't know this. So in that mindset, consider it joy because we know who wins the battle. And that's how he's writing this passage. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. The word for testing, this trial, this testing, it's the same word. It's actually the word for a legal proceeding. And that, that really helped me to think about that. Cause I, I look at trials or testing. And I'm like, Oh, is that because, you know, so-and-so is really bothering me or there's this issue in my life. What, what's going on? It's even deeper than that. It's this, this testing of your faith. It's this legal trial. Like you're bringing up and some some of you problem solve this way, you bring up all your pros and you bring up all your cons and then somebody then you then you break that tie in some way. Um, Kelly and I love watching the show bull i don 't know if you guys watch bull but he's a trial scientist, and he he's always trying to manipulate the juries because he he's figuring out how they how they think and if he can control how they think, then he can get the verdict that he wants it's a very interesting type of thing, but i can't help but think of that show when I think of the trials are this legal proceeding, this idea of there's got to be pros and cons brought up there's got to be facts brought up there's got to be witnesses brought up and how does this all work when you're going through that time of testing of your faith of the trial of your faith how does this work how does that look how do you endure through it so the focus for james is not on the trials it's rather what is the result of the trials It's a given. Remember, he's writing to slaves. You're going to go through stuff. It's going to be hard. Life's going to be bumpy, but what's the result? So if we're all going to go through this, like tough stuff in life is an equal opportunity offender, right? We all go through, it doesn't matter your stuff, my stuff, everyone's stuff. It might look different, but it all hurts the same way, right? My kid bumps his head into uh, the countertop. I said his, but you can guess which one would do that. That hurts just as much as I, you know, stub my toe on that dumb thing on the, the bed, right? Everyone's done that as well. Like that that everyone's pain hurts. It just happens in different places and different times. What is the result of that? How do we process that? Whether it's family issues, whether it's a sickness, whether it's marriage issues, whether it's kids acting crazy, whether whatever it is, whether it's loss of a job, the, what is not just the, the trial, the issue that you have. But James is far more concerned with the future of what the result of the trial is going to be. That's the same thing, his, his position on bringing up joy. I'm not so concerned with how cranky you are right now. I want to remember your default position has to be we win in the future. We have won. Okay? So what is the result of focusing on um, the, what is the result we're hoping for? What is the result of trials that we're hoping for? It can be uh, disillusionment. It can be walking away from our faith. It can be crankiness. It can be depression. James is arguing for the result to be wisdom. Wisdom comes from a change in perspective. Wisdom comes from a change in perspective. This is the easiest way for me to understand how wisdom happens. I want to be wise, but I also want things my way. There's a problem with that. Those two don't actually coincide with each other. Wisdom comes from a change in perspective. Here's something silly that happened to me this week. Well, it's silly about me. It's not, there's two people in this conversation. The other person's not silly at all. One of my best friends, I had to make a hard phone call this week. One of my best friends in the world is a college friend. And uh, we've done all kinds of dumb and smart things together. We've done, you know, all, he was there when I almost got kicked out of college. And he was there when we made, you know, Dean's List. Yes, the same thing happened to the same group of people. Uh, So, you know, it's all kinds of fun stuff uh, together. But we've also cried together. Um, We've also uh, mourned together. We've also lost people together. And so um, he let me know that his relationship is in crisis. He's engaged right now, but he's probably going to call off the engagement. And so I said, that deserves a phone call. I can call him. So I call him and we're having a conversation and I'm in my backyard and um, we're just talking and he's pouring out his heart and all the stuff and uh, the things going on. And I'm pushing back because we're so close. It's one of those relationships where we're like, hey, you're being stupid right here. Uh, why don't you quit doing that? And, uh, and, and so he's like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Uh, good. Thank you for not cursing at me. Uh, you know, so you just got that kind of push back, push back and me just trying to empathize with him and, and feeling that. And that goes on for 20, 30 minutes. And then uh, he's kind of processed some stuff and he, he comes back to me. How are you doing? How are things with you? And I'm going, and all day long, I'd been all stressed out about one stupid little thing. And I, before I responded, I'm sitting in my backyard on the phone with my best friends, pushing my daughter in a new uh, my baby daughter in a newly, uh, a baby swing with hamburgers on the grill. And it's like 75 outside and sunny. And I go, and I was like, I was all ready to be like, da 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 da, and this person's mean, and that stinks, and this is, and I was like, doing pretty good. <laughs> like, I'm talking to you whose life feels like it's falling apart. My biggest stressor is my boy's baseball team drives me absolutely bananas. <laughs> Now, I am scared that one of them is going to hit another one in the head with a baseball bat. It's a real fear, okay? But um, huh. I'm doing all right. Now, what changed my perspective? I had to tell you, something broke inside me because I, I, was, I was doing a pretty good job building up my problems. And then I realized you're getting to play baseball with your boy. Shut your face. That's how God talks to me. I don't know how God talks to you, but that's how God talks to me. Um, <clears throat> just keep it real. Uh, wisdom comes from a change in perspective. Like dramatically, Monday night's baseball game was one of the most frustrating experiences of my adult life. I'm just throwing it out there. And if you were a parent, was, like everyone felt this way. There was a, an angst in the air, if you will. It was just frustrating. Yesterday's baseball game, the kids didn't change. They didn't m- magically learn how to catch in the 5 days that happened from Monday to Saturday or whatever. They did they didn't get any better. They didn't hit any better. We had the same exact amount of hits that we did Monday as we did Saturday. But man, I had a great time yesterday. What happened? I got a little wiser. My perspective changed. Wisdom comes from a change in perspective. Sometimes that's difficult to see. Sometimes that's difficult to manage. Sometimes it's like, well, I don't want to change my perspective because my perspective is right. And this whole thing stinks and I've been wronged and all the blah, 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 blah. And you have valid problems except he is writing this to slaves who their best day is worse than any of your days. Any of my days. And so he's writing it to them, and he's saying, what's the cure for this? Consider it pure joy. Remember your victory. Remember that you've got, got it won. You, it's all going to work out in the end. You've got this. In fact, he says in verse 9 and 10, you should be happy that you don't have a lot of money because you don't have to worry about it going away. So take that for whatever it's worth. That, uh, no. That's a whole nother message. Maybe that's next week. I don't know. Um, which brings up this idea in verse 8, um, or verse 6, 7, and 8. It's this idea of doubting. Now, this has really haunted me. Whenever I think about trials and I think about doubting, I've beat myself up a lot because I thought, oh, I have a question about God. I have these hard questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is this person sick? Why did that person lose their job? Why is this happening to me, God? You know. And then I read this passage and I go, oh, man, did I lose my faith? Is he not answering me because I'm a wave tossed in the the ocean? Oh, no, because James says if, if they're a doubter, then they're not going to get anything because why would God answer that, that prayer? And so that has actually caused a lot of like angst inside me. And maybe it, it does for you as well. Here's the deal though. There's a big difference between questions and doubting. There's a huge difference like grand Canyon difference between questions and doubting. Everyone can have questions. In fact, I think the way in which we grow closer to God and the huge ways in which we change our perspective to wisdom is we ask good questions. The, what the difference in doubting is, doubting, the, the Greek word for doubting means to separate from, to turn away from, to, to distance yourself from. So that's a difference. Asking a question requires a conversation. If I ask Bree a question, I'm like, well, how was your day? <laughs> that's not building a relationship. Right, but that's what doubting does. Doubting is like I don't care about Breeze Day, but hopefully it was a good day. I don't care, but I'm, I'm I'm wondering, walking away. Questions are not doubting, and we have to understand that, especially because probably somebody in this room has put on all this guilt on their own faith, and like, well, God's never going to take me back, and I'm a wave that's uh, been blown every which way, and I'm not good enough, and He's never going to want me because I've had all these questions. Questions are not doubting. And in fact, even if you've been doubting, you're still welcome back with open arms with God. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to ask why. It's okay to ask the difficult things. Why do these things happen? What, what is going on there? See, doubting is to withdraw, oppose, or separate from. That's where we have the problem. These questions require a communication, but doubting says, I don't even want to have that communication anymore. I'm choosing something else. And here's the problem. If we go back to the Dulos and the patronus relationship, excuse me, this, wor- this idea of doubting means you're separating yourself from the very one who liberated you. See, he's framed this whole idea In the, in the idea of you have been paid by a price. You have been bought. Your past is no longer it's, it's paid in full. And now you've been set free and you have been liberated. And so when we doubt what we're doing is turning away from that very relationship, we're saying that relationship wasn't important to me. I don't care about that relationship who paid the price, who set me free that you're, you're choosing to walk away from that relationship. You see what he's trying to, to show you there. Because when we doubt, we forget because our perspective gets so messed up because we're only consumed with the here and now and what's going on here. When we start doubting, we separate ourselves from everything that God has done for us, everything that Jesus has done for us in paying the price for our past, in saying, I will set you free, in saying, I have a hope and a future for you. We're separating ourselves from all of that. Does this make sense? That's that's a lot different questions, right? Questions are great questions are hard. You can wrestle with questions. You can get messy with questions. You can cry through questions. You can yell through questions. That's fine. But doubting says, I'm going to separate myself from you. I don't, I don't want you anymore. Even though you've paid a price for me, even though you set me free, even though that you, you are victorious, I'm, I'm still just walking away. There's a big difference in those two. So if you struggle with that, let yourself off the hook a little bit uh, with that. This final word that I want to talk about, is this, it's a fun word to say, so we'll, we'll spend some time talking about the Greek word. But it's the word endurance or perseverance. word endurance or perseverance. And it's the Greek word hupomone. Isn't that fun? Uh, hupomone. H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. Hupomone. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I just will say it however I want. Hupomone. Um, no one speaks Kone Greek anymore. No one knows how it's actually pronounced because no one speaks it. Uh, anyway. So fair enough, um, to remain under. That's what that means. It doesn't mean like to build up, you know, resistance or anything. It means to remain under. So what James is saying is when you have perseverance, when you have this endurance, what you're choosing to do is I'm going to remain under the protection, the liberation of Jesus. Instead of separating myself, which is the doubt, I'm going to choose to remain under. Do you see how that's important? That's what endurance is. So as we go through the stuff in life, as we st- and this is the choice I know I have to make. I'm going to choose to remain under your leadership. I'm going to choose to remain under your control. I'm going to choose to remain under under your salvation i'm going to choose to remain under your love and your grace and your guidance i'm going to choose to remain under all of that that's what endurance is to remain under and that's this is this beautiful thing that we get to grow in this is the thing that we get to to build up making anyone done an endurance sport before cross-country swimming getting endurance is that fun no, it's really rewarding. I used to run cross country. If you guys know my affinity for running, so that may come as a shock to you. I used to run cross country, not because I like to run, just because I could do it forever and not stop, because I was a swimmer. And that's basically cheating for cross country, because swimming, like, you don't have to, br- and, like, you can't breathe. Yeah, oh, cross country, I get to breathe the whole time? Sweet. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so I would, this is early, early, like, fourth, fifth grade. But I would I would I would swim and come out of swim practice and I'd do my two miles and everybody else is dying and I'm like, What's going on? How are we done? That could have had something to do with my hyperactivity. But um we, we you know, it just didn't even bother me, didn't even faze me because I had built up endurance. Building up endurance, those first two weeks of any sport practice that you do are not fun, right? The girls' swim team had a, a week called Hell Week and there was they like just the coach, I think, took pride in how many times she got her girls to puke. You know, it was just mean stuff, but it was to build their endurance. It's not fun. And so if the goal for this is to build our endurance, guys, guess what? It's not going to always be fun and enjoyable. There's going to be times where we want to cry and we are sore and we want to go home. But the idea of remaining under our God who has paid the price for us, remaining under a God who has set us free. Because I know when the trials come and the temptations happen and it's tough stuff is happening, it's so tempting to run away and say, this is broken, forget you, I'm done. But the whole idea is to remain and to think we have a victory in the future. No matter what we've gone through, no matter what we've done, we have a guaranteed victory in the future. Our God, our protector, has won. He is a victorious king. This morning, we're going to take communion uh, to celebrate this idea of our God has won. Because what communion is, is a celebration, actually, of this whole idea of the the doulas patronus uh, joy of victory is that we are submitting ourselves as, as believers in Christ. We are submitting ourselves as, as bond servants to Christ. And he has liberated us and paid the price through communion. And so as we take these elements this morning, let's think on that. Let's think that this is the, the representation of God buying us and setting us free. That, he, that whatever we're going through in life, as maybe you hold those elements in your hand, and whatever we're going through in life, he is victorious because of these elements. Here at Shore Church of God, we practice open communion. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are more than welcome to take communion with us. You don't have to go through a class or sign a paper or anything like that. We would love to have you uh, participate with us. In these moments, as we focus in on the communion, as we focus in on the, on the juice and the and the bread. Let us think about how and whatever we're going through, how no matter how big or terrible or scary it is, Jesus has already won. In that moment, in that thought, that that changes my whole mentality. It changes my perspective, and it gives me some wisdom. Right? Ben, come on up. Let me pray for this. You guys, through the next song, can take communion whenever you are done reflecting and thinking about uh, the truths that we've put up today. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. Thank you... (sighs) That you walk with us through the hard stuff. Thank you that you are a God who's okay with questions. (laughs) Thank you that you are a God who would stop at nothing to have a relationship with us. Thank you that you are a God who, who will walk through with us through anything. God, some of us come this morning and we're struggling. We have trials that are relationship issues, their work issues, their are kid issues, their marriage issues. And Lord, we, we give all of those to you right now. We want to set those at your feet and say, we know that you have the victory in the end. God, would you be with my perspective this morning? As I struggle with not getting mired into my own problems and my own issues and all those things, that I would remember that you are victorious, that you have won the war, that you have beaten death. God, we love you. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.